You're listening to Politics is Vocal on the Georgia Podcast Network, featuring political interviews, reports, and rants from around the state. I'm Shelby Highsmith from Shelbynator.com, bringing you an episode of Politics is Vocal on the Georgia Podcast Network. On Thursday, June 7th, the Midtown Neighbors Association hosted a town hall meeting at the Druid Hills Presbyterian Church. The subject? The proposed establishment of a local historic district in Midtown Atlanta. The meeting notice on the website, midtownatlanta.org, said that information booths would be set up on various topics pertaining to the matter, and that's exactly what we got. Several tables with flyers and representatives from the association to field questions. It was a bit free-for-all, but if you went around the room and read enough literature to formulate cogent questions, you could come away fairly well-informed, or at least enough to get you started, on what might go on in the neighborhood. The proposed district would be bound roughly by 10th Street and Ponce de Leon Avenue on the north and south, stretches of Piedmont and Juniper on the west, and Monroe Drive on the east. Establishment of a historic district would bring structures deemed to be contributing to the historical architectural style, that is, at least 50 years old without major modification, as I understand it, under the additional supervision of the Atlanta Urban Development Council. The AUDC would have oversight on any major improvements or modifications to a contributing structure before a building permit could be issued. One common objection that has been raised about establishing a historic district is, won't this add yet another long and cumbersome hurdle to a homeowner's ability to make improvements on their home? AUDC planner Douglas Young was on hand to field such technical questions. Okay, yeah. so it says that uh, the, the AUDC meets uh, second and fourth Wednesday of every month at 4 p.m. at City Council, and you've got to apply at a certain lead time before your particular meeting. What is that, like two weeks, a month out? For uh, Type 2 applications, yeah. which is for alterations um, and site work, that's two weeks before each meeting. Um, and then the what are called Type 3 applications, which is for new construction, additions, and variances, uh, is three weeks before each meeting. Okay. And so then you go to that meeting, you get ten minutes for each person's opinion, then it says the council then, or the design commission then makes its decision. Yeah. They make that decision at that meeting or like another unless, two weeks? Unless the case is deferred, but okay. they can very, very often they make it at the same meeting. Got it. So it's about a three-week uh, process to get your uh, certificate of yeah. approval. Um, and then it says here, you know, paint color is something that is not regulated by AUDC under this district. Yeah. What, what's the sort of threshold for modifications to a property? Well, the threshold is actually the standard threshold anywhere in the city, which is related to what you need a building permit for. Okay. So, um, in the city of Atlanta, in any neighborhood, um, you need a building permit if you're doing any structural work to a, a property or a house, regardless of the value. Or you need a building permit if you're going to do $2,500 worth of work of any kind. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the threshold of our office because we're tied into the building permit process. So that's that's the current building permit for any zoning right now. And then if it's a historic district, we add on this review. Yeah, this happens prior to the building permit process. Great. All right. Thanks very much. No problem. Any other questions? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, So in terms of like a repair, if it met the, it says repairs don't require approval unless it exceeds the $2,500 threshold. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. Okay. 
what, what happens typically is that folks have a repair job that we're concerned about, and they have other work that we don't normally review, but would make it more than $2,500 in total. Got it. Is the, is the situation. So a little tar to patch a leak in your roof, you can do that on your own. A tree yeah. comes down on your roof, you're going to have to... You want to rebuild it, then you need a building permit, plus you probably have to see our office. Get the check. Yeah. All right, thanks. Okay. Well, that doesn't sound terrible, but some people are extremely unthrilled. I, f- I only found out about the meeting because a disgruntled local real estate type guy went around the neighborhood taping up flyers, alerting neighbors to this proposed change. The website advertised, don'tlowerourpropertyvalues.com, claims that property values will plummet if we go forward with the historic district. And he argues that such plan, or the website argues rather, that such plans are being hatched by a relatively small number of people rather than the entire neighborhood. There to defend his claims was Royce Morris himself, a rather ungoogleable gentleman from Virginia Highland. And you're an uh, investor in Midtown? Yeah, I live at, well, actually, I live in Virginia Highlands, and mm-hmm. my properties are, I've, I've been um, in Midtown, I, li- I, I lived in Midtown from 1999 to uh, 2005, and so I've been living in Midtown a long time, just went over to Virginia Highlands, but my properties, I have three homes in Midtown right now. Rentals? Uh, yes, three okay. rentals in Midtown right now. So you you started the website, essentially, uh, you were saying earlier, not totally to oppose the change to the historic district, but at least to bring some transparency to the issue? Uh, well, I don't think the MNA has not been transparent. I mean, they've been very transparent. But like I was telling people, when you move into a neighborhood um, you, down here in, in, in town Atlanta, you don't have to belong to a homeowners association. And so even if you are transparent, some people move to the town simply because they just want to be left alone. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not really saying the MNA is, they've been as transparent as anything. I have no op- But maybe no not as loud as they needed to be about the process. Well, you can only be so loud. Right. I mean, there are 63 homeowners, that's it out of thousands. And what can you really do with that? And that's the MNA. That, that's what it says on their website. They've got 63 members and, hmm. you know, and, and or six, not 63 members, 63 property Households. Yeah. Households. So um, what we're basically saying is, is that two things. Number one, I definitely do not approve historical designation. I've been an investor for 12 years. I see that when you put more restrictions on properties, they are worth less. I can show you examples of Inman Park and Grant Park where they're selling for under $300,000. You can't find any house in Midtown or Virginia Highlands for that. You can't even find anyone for under $400,000 over there. So really, I'm against it because it does destroy property values to a, to a large degree, and I get into more detail more questions. However, I have offered them this suggestion. I said, we will take down our website. We will fully not oppose you. We won't be for historic designation. We will not oppose you if 51% of the property owners agree that um, to place their homes under historic designation. This is America. I didn't vote for George Bush, but I'll tell you right now, um, I do support him as our president. Eh, you know. <laughs> you accept it. <laughs> yeah, I accept it. Um. I might point out at this point, just for kicks, that in the last year, Mr. Morris has made uh, $700 in contributions to John McCain for president, according to the FEC. So the, the, the property value impact is basically because the sort of potential for future development of any given historic property is limited? Right. What happens is is that, um, um, say for instance, over in Inman Park, to use that as an example, you have a lot that's worth $450,000, and people say, wow, this is great. And they say, what is that small bungalow over there worth? And I said, that's sold for 250000 you know, last year. And they said, well, my what? God, then I'll go ahead and just buy this house, and I'll tear down the house, and I'll say, wait, can't do that. It's historic. 
you know, oh, well, I'll put a second story on it. No, they've gone before UGC before, and it is considered historically um, contributing. So, what it is. so the value is locked into the home. Now, if you have the rights to do what you want to with your property, you could expand the property, you could tear it down, um, you could do what you want to do the property. And so then all of a sudden the property value is like over in Midtown, it's worth $450,000, you know. Now on the flip side of that, let's say mm -hmm. I have a bungalow and I'm not in a historic district and somebody buys the bungalow next to me, tears it down and builds a three-story block. Uh, what does that do to my property value as a bungalow owner? As oh, my that, no, no, that increases your property value dramatically because you always want to be the cheapest house in the neighborhood because your property you'll be you'll be dragged along, such drug or dragged, dragged along with with the other property owners. Now, what this really comes down to is you really just don't like that next door, and I understand that. But at the same time, you know, there's got to be somewhere in there. McMansions they talk about it's not so much the we're for or against that as much as the look and feel of our homes it's not um, um, it, with real estate what's the first three rules of real estate you location, know this location right? location location it's not architecture 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 mm -hmm. Ex exactly if on the other side of that coin if you moved into Royce's neighborhood mine used to be across the street mm -hmm. and had one of the average price houses in the street and the person next door to you was an absentee owner who had a little shack that renters were in and it was really good shape. You'd be real glad to have somebody buy that and tear it down. Right. Now, you also have uh, expressed concern about the permanence of this kind of action, you know, going to a historic district, and it's once it's done, it's done. Yeah, that's what I, I think we have a big problem with the process. Two things. Number one, and I'll lead into the other um, question, is that, first of all, the process is only 10 people have to start this. Then it just goes through town hall meetings, no one ever votes, and then it goes to city council where it does vote. So the property owners never get a chance to to, to, um, to vote on it, and that's the biggest problem I have. And then when people say, um, you know, that everything will be fine and don't worry about it, well, once this has happened, there's nothing you can do. You can say, hold it, my property value went down $50,000 or whatever. It's over with. There is no process, legal process, to go back. So then, on the other hand, what an alternative to address, like, a particular area that has an issue with the infill building in McMansion's um, would revisions to the zoning code be yes. a more temporary or more more that's actually referable process? That's in effect actually going around with the whole uh, city of Atlanta. Mary Norwood has actually put together a, an excellent, you know, um, hopefully seeing both sides of the issue um, strategy, and she's going to be presenting some sort of legislation to the city council to address that. So we don't have a problem with that. You know, I would hope that they still would be able to allow um, some large you know, homes to be built. And when I say large, I'm talking about 3,000, 3,500 square feet. I was joking about how I had some people come in from um, New York and they, uh, well, I, uh, not people I know, but they were on the street and they saw us looking at some houses and they came up and said, this is a beautiful neighborhood in here. And they, it was funny. They said, can you still get anything for a million dollars? And I said, yeah, yeah, you can still. So, that, yeah, exactly. But there's beautiful homes. And, and then they asked the question that everybody asked. They said, but we at least want 3,000, 3,500 square feet. And I said, yes, currently you can do that. And so that's the problem is, is they said, can we get anything for a million dollars? But they wanted something large. Mm -hmm. All right. I think that's all I can think of for now. Hey, Thanks thank you time. very much. At one table, there was information on property values in other historic districts around the country, which was, as one MNA member admitted, rather hastily compiled in response to Mr. Royce's claims. 
so you'll want to look into this yourself. But data they presented included the fact that house prices in historic districts in Columbia, South Carolina, rose 26% faster than the market as a whole. And in Greenville, house prices in historic district went up about 50% in just a few years, it says. By this point, of course, I became pretty skeptical of both sides. I'm skeptical of real estate developers at meetings like this, seeing what they tend to prefer to do to some historic properties in these kinds of neighborhoods, flatten them, and build monstrosities in their stead. In addition, a real estate agent who attended the uh, meeting brought MLS printouts of the properties that Mr. Royce alleges on his website sold for undervalued mid-200s prices because of the restrictions on the historic districts they're in. But according to this realtor, there were plenty of other reasons these homes were real bargains, like the microscopic .09 acre lots they sat on. Hmm, tricky, tricky. On the other hand, there were only about 75 people that passed through the town hall meeting that night, according to a woman at the sign-in table, whereas there are some 1,200 residents, I've heard, in the proposed district, or 1,200 uh, households. I concede Royce's point that there needs to be more comprehensive community discussion before anything permanent is done. Um, how did you find out about the this process had begun? Uh, my neighbor Danny Guerra. <laughs> <laughs> and you got a, a flyer in the yeah. mail, a little postcard, basically. Uh-huh. So you live in Midtown, in this zone. Yes, it is. Are you, like, on the MNA mailing list or anything? Uh, no, no. So they just probably just send it to each address? And, uh, I believe how's so. It going? Okay. Oh, what is it? Local Historic District. Thursday. Got it. Yeah, it's pretty small. <laughs> I wouldn't have looked at it. <laughs> Most of my neighbors did not look at it, actually. They, come by and say hello. A lot of them said, oh, I never Judy saw it. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Like oh, yeah, yeah. Judy said she understood. When did you get it? It was two weeks ago. There's plenty of time. Just small and one color and one color. Kim Wilson is on the committee of the MNA overseeing this proposal and she defended the transparency of the process. How are you guys going about uh, notifying the neighbors in the affected area of the process? We are um, doing everything we can to make sure that um, all the stakeholders and neighbors are notified early. We're very early in the process. Um, What we've done so far is um, we have sent out emails for people who've expressed interest. We have sent out web um, e-blasts off of the MNA, the Midtown Neighborhood Association website, so any member of the MNA would get an e-blast. We have also sent out um, several uh, mailed notifications to all of the property owners that are in the tax records for the district. So we got a listing of tax records from the city, um, over 1,200 properties sent out. We've sent out two mailers so far. One was a brochure and one was a postcard. We've also canvassed the neighborhood um, one time with a brochure where we, when we were photographing the neighborhood, we, uh, we put a brochure on each door. Um, and we're going to continue that effort. We're going to have additional mailers, more, that's, but that's generally what we're doing. And so there's going to be a couple more meetings through MNA right. where this process gets, or where the plan gets reviewed. Right. And then what gets handed off to the, the AUDC, 
and then they have more hearings where neighbors yes. can come in. Yeah, there's going to be the Midtown Neighborhood Association yeah. is doing their very best to have a, a lot of public opportunities before we even submit it to the city, so that we we can get all everyone's feedback. So the town hall meetings that we're holding um, are, are are we're trying to get input, and once we submit, the city also has a series of public meetings um, that will be. Um, notified again by mail. And do you know if it's the at the city council members that vote for the final decision? Uh, the or? final vote, I believe, is the city council members. And then the, the mayor ratifies it. It's just like any zoning code. It goes through the same process. Okay. Ms. Wilson was not having the best of days, apparently fielding many an angry phone call before she even arrived. And at one point during the gathering, she had to step out of the room to escape from a rather hostile, cranky old bastard, my assessment, not hers, who got so agitated with her that she might have had reason to fear the guy. He ended up hunting her down to yell at her a bit more before he stormed out of the church. People, come on! Feel free to disagree with and actively oppose this district if you want, but for crying out loud, be civil about it. Anyway, there's more information about the proposal and the process at preservemidtownatlanta.org, including meeting dates. It's important that people show up to this stuff because it will have quite a significant impact on your property one way or the other. From Shelbinator.com for the Georgia Podcast Network, this is Shelby Highsmith. Have an issue, person, or event you'd like to discuss in a political podcast but don't want to commit to a recurring show? If you have your own equipment, you can make a recording and post it to our site as an MP3. Email us at info at gapodcastnetwork.com to find out how. If you don't have your own equipment, you can leave interviews, reports, and rants up to 10 minutes long on our voicemail system by calling 678-389-9441. Thanks for listening to Politics is Vocal on the Georgia Podcast Network. Visit us at gapodcastnetwork.com. You heard Can I Be a Star by Bernsie Thornside, which is available at magnatune.com.